Hello, this is the second in a series of four podcasts all about the Court of Protection, who are a specialist court making financial and welfare decisions for people who can't make the decisions themselves. This episode is looking at the role of a deputy and the realities of day-to-day life. My name is Anne Pearson and I am a lawyer in the Boyce Turner Court of Protection team. Joining me today to discuss this is Ruth Mayer, who leads our Court of Protection team. Hello Ruth, how are you? I'm fine Anne, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. So Ruth, what exactly is a deputy? Well, it's actually a really vast, far-reaching role and the standards are set by something called the Office of the Public Guardian or OPG for short and they're the administrative arm of the court protection. So the sorts of things that a deputy would do would be things like um, setting up a bank account for someone and monitoring that account. They'd have to put insurance in place and they'd be investing money, paying bills, um, sorting out the tax, looking at uh, state benefits and maintaining state benefits, even things such as buying a house. Um, As a deputy, I even have to think of what would happen at the end of somebody's life. So I'm looking at things like a, a statutory will. Um, and that is actually a will that is approved by the Court of Protection. Right. So what is a typical day like for you? Well, it's a good question, but there's no typical day. Um, so this morning, for instance, I, I had a call from a client who had um, just received planning permission through on a house that they want to adapt for their child. And they were absolutely thrilled and excited. Well, that now means I, I, I've got to talk, talk carefully through everything with the parents, the architect, um, surveyor, and also a housing occupational therapist, because we'll be looking at things like getting a disabled facilities grant in place, which would be extra money towards adapting that property. But generally, I'm looking at all sorts of best interest decisions that need to be made. I mean, what builder to use? How much are they going to cost? What, when can they actually start the work? I'm also looking at how I can invest money and what I can afford to pay for, uh, things such as cars and holidays. I have to treat the funds really carefully and I have to justify all my actions. And I don't always go for the cheapest option. Sometimes I'm going for the more expensive one because it's simply value for money. Ultimately, I'm making well-rounded decisions so that the person can benefit from it. Okay, so what do you do with the money? Well, it depends on the amount and the needs of the person. I'm acutely aware that that money has to last them for all of their life. Um, For some of my clients, they've received a compensation award for maybe medical negligence or for a brain injury. And the first thing they may want to do is purchase a property. So I'm looking at properties that are suitable for them. I'm also looking at investing that money. So I'm putting together budgets, usually for between three to five years. Now, with the investments, I usually approach three financial advisors and I'm saying to them, put together a report telling me how you're going to invest that money, what the return is going to be and what your costs are so that I can compare all three and then we can make a decision with the family together. But that's not the end of it. Once they've done that, I then have to monitor those investments um, each year. And I think what's actually really surprised me is the cost of things. So, um, for instance, a bathroom for a a person with a disability can cost three to four times more than somebody who hasn't got a disability. Um, At the same time as spending money on things that people need, I also want to ensure that the client can enjoy their life. So I'm looking at paying for holidays and things like that. I think the beauty of a deputyship is that it's quite bespoke and it can be quite flexible. So I'm looking what the client needs and what's actually right for them. So what would you say is the most rewarding aspect of your job? 
Well, it's really difficult to pick one thing. So there's lots of things I like, but generally I'm, I call myself, I'm a people person. So I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy solving problems. And I like to talk to clients almost every day. Um, but in particular, I really love seeing them face to face in their home once a year, which the Court of Protection allow me to do. Um, so it's quite difficult at the moment because we've got this pandemic and all the meetings are via Zoom. But and, and those those meetings don't quite replace the um, benefit for home visit, but it's OK. I can keep going and, and carry on the meetings. But in addition, I think one of the other things I really enjoy is the fact that when we have these um, compensation awards, uh, we usually have them for children who then become teenagers and then adults. And we're looking at how assistive technology can really help them in their lives. So we look at communication devices, for instance, and it makes all the difference to them. So that's what you find most rewarding. But what would you say is the hardest thing about being a deputy? Well, I think the problem is I have to accept that I can't help everyone. Not everyone wants a deputy or maybe due to a brain injury, they may not think they need one at all. Um, so it's all about building trust over time and being able to sort of make those decisions together and communicating throughout and explaining everything. And I, I, I don't give up trying. What would you say um, would be the strangest request you've ever had? Well, I've had lots of strange requests, but I'm not really phased by anything. Um, but I'll give you an example. A, a few years ago, I had a client who um, was under the court protection and reluctantly so, but we got on really well. And he came to me one day and he said to me, Ruth, I really want to invest in a business myself. And I said, OK, so what do you want to do? And he said, well, I want to invest in a vodka tasting business. And I said, OK, um, I, I was a sort of a little bit surprised. I said, well, have you got any sort of business plan put together? And he said, no. I said, well, you need to put a plan together. Come back to me once you've got a plan. So anyway, off he went and he came back with his plan and I looked through it and I wasn't still, I wasn't keen. And um, I, I knew in my heart of hearts as I was looking through it that he was going to lose this money that he was going to invest in this business. And then I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, um, this is something he really wants to do. Um, it's not a huge sum of money. Um, you know, it's affordable. And, um, you know, we'll just see how he gets on. So anyway, he set up the business and he ran it for about two to three months and he lost all the money. And I thought to myself afterwards, afterwards, you know, should I have done that? And then I thought, well, yes, because he learned a lot from running that business. And he also learned what he couldn't shouldn't actually do when running a business and I think that actually helped him in the long run and also he had a lot of fun while doing it so he learned he enjoyed what he did and I'm pleased to say that um, since then he's now out of the court of protection and he's a successful businessman. Just lately we've all had to deal with changes caused by the pandemic um, how has the pandemic affected how you work with your clients and families? Well, I think the pandemic's affected everyone, hasn't it? So, you know, yes, it has impacted me. As I've said, I love doing home visits. I love seeing the clients in their home and I've been doing it for 20 years. So this has been the first year where I haven't been actually able to go and see them, um, you know, in, in their home. But um, I've done what everyone else has done. I've gotten to Zoom, I've gotten to Teams and I've run meetings like that. But I've found for some of the clients, you know, that they are struggling with that. They're not, not all of them are technically able and they, they do sort of suffer that way. Um, but, um, you know, we do what we have to do. We've got no choice. Roll up our sleeves and just get on with it. Um, and, you know, I'm still able to carry on with those meetings and um, see people and carry on with this very rewarding job. Oh, thank you. And finally, Ruth. What would you say people should look for when appointing a deputy? 
Are there any particular skills that you would say are required? Well, I I would say to anybody who has to appoint a deputy for somebody else to actually pick up the phone or go and see if they can, the person concerned and talk to them, get to know them and then um, decide who they'd like to appoint. So basically interview people. But really what they should be looking for as well is somebody with a lot of experience and somebody with a really solid understanding of the Mental Capacity Act and the principles that underpin it. They should be able to speak in plain English, be proactive, um, and they have to be. They have to be over 18, no criminal convictions, not be a bankrupt or have any voluntary debt arrangement in place. In other words, they've got to be an experienced and honest person. But I think the most important thing, with all those things considered, they need to be comfortable. They need to be comfortable with somebody who's non-judgmental and can make best interest decisions by looking at the bigger picture, such as past views, values, and the whole of the family situation. Right. Well, that was really interesting, Ruth. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. Bye. Well, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please go to boysturnerclaims.com and look for our link to Court of Protection.